appreciate everybody being here this morning. And uh, I don't know if the rest of you noticed, but while we were having communion, uh, there were a lot of babies crying. Did you hear that? And for you parents, I just want you to know this one thing. Thank you. Thank you for bringing your children. Thank you for bringing them and showing them and being an example of how to worship and respect God. I remember Norman years ago used to say he'd rather hear a baby crying than an old man snoring any day. (laughs) And amen to that. One point, the people were bringing their little children to Jesus. They just wanted Jesus to touch them, you know. And the disciples thought that was just a little above Jesus, I guess. They decided that that just wasn't, wasn't what Jesus was there for and that he didn't have time for the little children. They tried to push the people away and Jesus said, uh-uh-uh-uh, you let the little children come to me. So we appreciate you and we appreciate your children. We have been in the book of Hebrews and it's all about encouraging each other and that's what we want to do. Whether it's parents, whether it's young people, whether it's old people, we want to encourage one another. And the book, uh, the letter to the Hebrews was written to a congregation who many of them were on the verge of giving up. It was getting difficult. It was getting hard. For some of them, they may have been new Christians. And just real quickly, it kind of became difficult. And they were on the verge of giving up. For others, they may have been in the fight for a long time. And yet it was just beginning to get so hard and so discouraging that they were on the verge of giving up. Many of their brothers and sisters they'd already seen give up. That's evident from what the writer says. But he says that we are going to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that no one may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And we have come to share in Christ if we hold firm to the end the confidence that we had at first. You know, that is the purpose, I believe. The number one purpose of the church is to encourage each other. Now, as a church, as a church family, we are a light on a hill. We are a light in the dark and we do shine out to the world around us. But I believe that in a sense, that is more of an individual thing. Individually, as we leave here and we go into our jobs and our families and our communities or whatever. We are a light. We are the instrument of evangelism in the world around us. And sure, that's part of the purpose of the church as a whole. But I think mainly the main purpose, and you may disagree with me on this, that's okay. The main purpose of the church, the church family, is to encourage each other. I think that's the main purpose of our worship together. Yeah, we understand and we know that obviously our worship is up towards God, but it is about one another. It is about encouraging each other, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spirit. That's why meeting together is so important. But we've been talking about that, about not giving up, about holding on. And we got to chapter 11. That great chapter on faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And in verse 6, it is without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to the Father must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we define faith as we did back when we were talking about faith and doubt. 
The basis of our faith, the foundation of our faith is that God is and God loves me. Everything else is built upon that foundation. Our misunderstandings and our confusion, we take in light of that understanding. I don't understand why God's doing this. I don't understand why this is going on in my life. I don't understand what's happening, but I know that God loves me. And that God, or that God is and God loves me. And I'll interpret everything that happens in my life based on that. And then we got into that great hall of fame of faith. And he talks about Abel and he talks about Enoch and he talks about Noah. And he talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Rahab and Joshua and Gideon and David and Samuel. And he says he could have gone on. And then he comes to chapter 12 verse 1. And chapter 12, verse 1 begins with the word, therefore. That means because of, since, all of these examples of faith that he's given to us, all of these people that we know about from the Old Testament that we've studied, and and he talks about their faithfulness and how that they expressed their faith by the way that God had ordained. And he says, therefore, because all of these lived by faith, We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. These are some of my favorite passages in all of the Bible because it is a passage of encouragement. It is a passage of holding on. It is a passage of perseverance. It is a passage of never giving up. Now, those of you that were here Wednesday night, Johnny Williams already stole half of the sermon. That doesn't mean I'm not going to preach it anyway. But his lesson was excellent on Wednesday night about persevering and looking ahead and not behind. And we're going to talk about some of those things. As we read those passages or as you read it up there, you might notice that we have three more of our let us statements. Remember in chapter 10, 19 through 25, we had those let us passages. We have three more here. These are powerful verses. So let's look at these and see what it does to encourage us. First of all, it tells us that we ought to look to others for strength. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the ancients, the patriarchs that he talks about. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Why should we study the Old Testament? What's the purpose? And there are those out there in the Christian community who would tell us that we shouldn't. The Old Testament has no purpose. All we need to do is study the New Testament. Well, if you study the New Testament, if you really study the New Testament, you'll see that it tells you you ought to study the Old Testament. The New Testament clearly tells us that there was a reason that God wrote down 
Those things in the Old Testament. Those things were written there as an example for us. Those things were written there so that we might learn. Those things were written as not only positive examples, but negative examples as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or maybe chapter 10, Paul writes, you know, he talks about all the bad things that Israel did. And he says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't fall into idolatry and sexual immorality and all these other things. Those are written there as a warning for you. So we have all the patriarchs and all the the people of the past. When the world is against you. When you think that there is nobody in the world who is trying to follow God except you. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your community. Maybe it's at school, whatever. Think about Noah. 120 years he preached and never got a single response. I wonder if he, I wonder how long he'd have gotten fired, you know, to take before he got fired as a preacher. 120 years, not a single response. Can you imagine how many verses of just as I am they must have sung in 120 years? And not a single response. The world was against him, mocked and ridiculed. For being out there every day building that dumb ark. And then gathering all them animals. And you think the world's against you? God says remember Noah. When you think. That you are. Or when you are confused. When you don't understand God. Remember Abraham. We talked about him last week. God made these promises over and over and over again. And it seemed like these promises were never coming true. And then when the promise did come true, God said, take your son. Yeah, that son I promised you. That son you waited 25 years for. That son who was a product of impossibility. You take him up on the mountain, you sacrifice him. And you think you're confused? When you're confused, remember Abraham. When you feel abandoned... Remember Joseph. Oh. His brothers hated him. Hated him. They wanted to kill him. Most of his brothers wanted to kill him. One didn't want to go quite that far. Let's just throw him in the well. And then sold off into slavery into Egypt. Abandoned by his family. And then... He's doing right. He's doing what God wants him to do. He's worked his way up into a position of promises, prominence in Potiphar's house. And then she accuses him. And he's thrown into prison, abandoned by Potiphar. And then he tells the dreams. He, he interprets the dreams of the, the butler and the cupbearer. He reminds me, he says, when you, when you, when Pharaoh put you back into power, remember me. Oh yeah, I remember you. Two years. Oh yeah, that dude, Joseph, I remember him now. Abandoned. Abandoned. But never abandoned by God. We may feel abandoned. But God will never abandon us. And when we need reminding of that, we remember Joseph. When you have to deal with difficult people, maybe none of you have to. 
But you, when you have to deal with stubborn, obstinate, rebellious people, remember Moses. Yeah, I, I saw that. Remember Moses and all that he had to deal with, with the children of Israel. When you, when your family is torn apart, remember David. And you can put in causation or whatever, and, but the fact is, his family was torn apart. And yet he still was faithful to God. And we have all these people from the Old Testament. When God asked the impossible, remember Joshua and Gideon. But like we talked about last week, it's not just those who are in that hall of fame that the writer listed. What about those from your life? Those people who have molded you. Whether it be a Bible class teacher, whether it be a parent or a grandparent, whether it be an elder, whether it be a preacher, perhaps, whether it be. And these are the people, you know, those people are fantastic. Love them. But some of the people who are most impactful to me, especially nowadays. And I hate to use this term. But just simple Ordinary, faithful Christians. They may not do spectacular things. May not be an elder or preacher or deacon or a Bible class teacher. But is faithful to God. Faithful in service. Faithful in attendance. Faithful in all those different things. Those are the people. Who we ought to put into our own personal cloud of witnesses. And I hope you have those people in your life. And if they're still alive, I hope that you take the time to thank them. And let them know. That even though they may not ever consider themselves to be one of those people to put up on the Hall of Fame. That they're there for you. And that they mean something to you. Faithfulness is what God wants from us. He says, besides looking to others, and we ought to look to one another for strength. He says, besides that, we ought to throw off everything that hinders us. Like a runner getting ready for a race. You know, my girls were in track. And... You know, they'd wear their, their sweatpants and their sweat tops and, and all of that. But when it got time for the race, it was time to take those things off. Because we didn't want that. They didn't want that hindering them. I don't know how many of you were watching. Some of you. You're not going to believe this, but I watched a little football yesterday. It's probably going to shock you. I know. You can't believe that I wasn't out, you know, doing honeydew jobs around the house. And, but, you know, but there was a game on last night in Boise, Idaho. And if you saw it, it was the first half was in the middle of a blizzard. And it was freezing cold. And the snow was beginning to pile up on the field. And there were some of those guys out there who didn't even wear a long sleeve shirt. I really think it's because they were crazy. But 
You know, they didn't want all that stuff bothering them when they, when they went to play. The writer here is telling us, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hindered us, hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. In other words, I'm looking around at Moses and Adam and Abraham and Gideon and, and Joshua and all those folks. And I want to get to where they are. And so I'm going to throw off everything that's going to get in my way. I'm not going to let anything hinder me. I'm not going to let anything trip me up. And that first starts out by being honest with ourselves. You see, I know what my hang-ups are. I know what my temptations are. I know what most of the obstacles are going to be in my life. And if I'm going to get over them, if I'm going to throw all that stuff off, I have to be honest with myself and and not try to play games with myself or play games with God. Oh, I can handle it this time. Oh, it'll be all right. I can jump high enough to get over that, that obstacle. No. Wouldn't it be better just to remove the obstacle? It'd just be better to remove the obstacle. Let's get it out. Satan is a genius. Let's get that in our heads. Satan is a genius. He is a master at knowing just the thing that's going to trip us up. Just the thing. That is going to tempt us and lead us away. Just the thing where we are the weakest. But he's not smarter than we are. I don't think. Because we know it too. We just may not admit it. But he says throw off all those things. You know what? That may may mean getting rid of some habits. You know... I just know I can't be in that place doing this. There's too much temptation, too much struggle, too many things that trip me up. It could be friends. It could be friends. The kids, now I've told you this, you know, I understand I've told you this a million times. But I had a kid come to me 30 years ago probably. And ask my, ask my opinion. You know, he wanted to, wanted to know what I thought. I thought, ooh, wow, all right. I'm so wise. And he said, I got these three friends I've grown up with my whole life. But every time I'm with them, I end up doing something I shouldn't do. And me, in my infinite wisdom, in my incredible philosophy, said... Get rid of them. Get rid of them. And he looked at me. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that. Because I'm trying to be an example to them. Key word there? Trying. And you're failing miserably. Miserably. You just told me, and I quote you, every time I'm with them. I end up doing something I shouldn't do. You're not strong enough to be an example. You're not strong enough to be in that situation. You need to turn tail and run. 
You need to find new friends. Now, maybe later on down the line, when you're a little more mature, when you're a little stronger, maybe you'll be able to come back and be an example to them. But right now, you better be worried about your soul. Because it's in jeopardy. You need to throw off all those things that entangle us. And the sin that so easily besets us, King James says. Nothing or no one is more important than our souls. In relation to that story, I've told you this as well. We think of selfishness as being a bad thing, right? But as I read the Bible, there is one thing. That we can be absolutely selfish about. And that's our soul. And that's our eternal destiny. I don't want to let anybody or anything. Come between me and my relationship with God. And those things that do. We need to get rid of them. Simple question. When you've fallen. When you've sinned. Most of the time, most of the time, and be honest, was it a total shock and surprise? Or was it something you could have foreseen coming? I know in my life, it's something I could have foreseen coming and could have prevented if I would have gotten rid of those things that were going to trip me up. Thirdly, he says, let us run with perseverance. We are in a race. You people, and there's a few of you in here. You people who run marathons. I don't get it. Okay, I just, 26 and a half miles, is that right? 26 and a half miles. That's to the other end of Mount Pleasant. There's a perfectly good car sitting in my garage. Or a bicycle or a horse or Uber. Why would anybody purposely run 26 and a half miles without a lion chasing them? But those who run marathons, you understand, it's about the finish. It's not about the start. When I was in high school, you may not believe this, I was actually pretty fast. And I wanted to be a sprinter. But there were people faster than me who got all the sprinting positions. And the coach came to me and said... You know, you're not going to be a sprinter. You're just not going to make the team as a sprinter. Would you consider doing long distance running? And I said, no, no. Anything where you have to count laps. So for me, 440 was the limit back in the day. That's how old I am. 440, 440. I wasn't going to run the 880 because you had to count to two. I wasn't going to mile because you had to count to four. And I wasn't going to run that ridiculous thing where you had to count more than four, whatever that was. 
But our Christian race is a marathon. And we got to hang on to the very end. It's not about how we start. It's about finishing. Jesus told his disciples that there were going to be tough times. He told them it's going to be difficult. There's going to be tough times. He was upfront and honest with them. And I think maybe sometimes in our Christian life, we start off and we think it's going to be easy. Once I turn my life over to Christ, everything's going to be easy. And I think there's some people out there who got to preach that. Ah, uh, you turn your life, everything's going to be okay. Your family life's going to be fine. Your work life's going to be fine. Your friend's life's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine when you turn it. And then when it's not, it's like, whoo, forget it. I'm giving up. I'm quitting. No. We keep on. We keep on. We will experience tough times emotionally, socially, spiritually, but we hold on to the end. The writer of Hebrews in this letter, the readers were experiencing some tough times. And he tells them, he says, I hate to tell you this. I'm paraphrasing. I hate to tell you this. If you think it's rough now, it's only going to get rougher. It's only going to get worse. So don't give up now. Don't ever give up. Paul said towards the end of his life, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. You know, I love watching the end of marathons. I don't like watching the beginning. I certainly don't like the middle part. How boring is that, you know? But I do like watching the end. And what I really like is watching the last person cross the finish line. Because I can relate to that person. But it may be turning dark. All the TV cameras for the most part, all the fans, everybody, everybody's already gone. There's nobody hardly left around the finish line. But here comes this person. And they finish the race. Just like the person who crossed the finish line three hours before him in first place. They finished the race. Some of us, or some of you, some of you are going to sprint across the finish line. You are so strong. And you are so faithful. And you are so committed to God. And you have never in your life thought about turning back. And you have been an inspiration. And you're going to cross that finish line and still have energy to spare. Others of us, or you, are going to be crawling on our hands and knees. Beat down by the world around us discouraged by the people in our lives, crawling and clawing our way to the finish line. But you know what Paul says? He said, I finished the race. He didn't say I came in first. He didn't say I was the fastest. He said, I finished the race, and there is therefore stored up for me a crown of righteousness. Not only for me, but for all those who long for his appearing. 
He said elsewhere that the runners run, talking about the Olympic kind of games, the sports games of his day, those runners run to, to, achieve, to achieve a crown that's perishable. But we run to receive a crown that is everlasting. And so we run with perseverance. Fourthly, he says here that we fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, that great cloud of witnesses, that's wonderful. But the perfect example is even better. Jesus suffered, as he's already talked about, in every way, just like us, without sin. He is our guide. He is our role model. He is our example. He is our pioneer. He is our point man. We follow in his footsteps. You know, in the military, or, or especially I think about, you know, uh, in, in, in the army or, or the Marines or whatever. You know, as you're going out on a mission, there's always that person who's on point. He's out there ahead of the rest of the squad. Making sure that everything's okay. And if the others follow right behind him, they're going to be okay too. That's what Jesus is. He's the trailblazer. He's the pioneer. He's the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. He's gone before us and he's done it perfectly. And what Hebrews tells us is that he's not just a face or a plaque in the clouds. Yeah, he's, he's not just up there. For us to look towards. But he's right here beside us. Walking with us. Helping us through. The difficult times that we have. And we need to make sure that we don't get distracted. You know they put those blinders on a horse. So that the horse won't get distracted. I remember years ago Brittany was in gymnastics. And we were at this gymnastics meet, and it was way back when she was littler, I don't know, five, six, seven years old, something like that. And every little girl, it's not like, you know, in Olympic gymnastics where, you, where you've got the floor exercise and everybody's music's different and everybody's routine's different. This was, everybody's music was exactly the same. And everybody's routine was supposed to be exactly the same. Now you talk about a boring day. Sit there for four hours listening to the same music over and over and over again. And the same routine of the little girls. So Bridget is up there and she is doing her floor routine. And I notice, because I had been paying attention all day long. I noticed that she is getting a little ahead of the music. And kind of to myself, I kind of went like this. She saw me and stopped dead in her tracks. And I was just like, no, 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 no. You see, she got distracted. She got distracted. And we got to make sure that we're not distracted. We got to make sure that our imperfections 
the weaknesses of others, the imperfections of others, don't distract us from the perfection of Jesus? Well, you know, Jason isn't so hot. So if Jason isn't so hot, why do I have to be so hot? Why do I have to be so good? Jason isn't that good. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter about Jace. Doesn't matter about it. It just matters about Jesus. That's who I'm supposed to be putting my eyes on. That's who I'm supposed to be looking towards. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And lastly, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. It says that Jesus persevered because of what he knew was ahead. You know, when we give up, or at least me, when I give up on something, Almost always the root of the reason I give up is because I've determined in my mind that what is awaiting at the end is not worth what I'm going to have to go through to get there. A few years ago, we bought some Christmas thing. I think it was reindeer. They were supposed to go out in the yard, you know, you put the reindeer out in the yard and they all light up and, you know, I think that's what it was. And the box was big enough, I assumed it came put together. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm an idiot. But I opened the box. And I closed it back up. And took it back. Because there is no way that the joy I was going to get out of seeing that reindeer in my yard was going to be worth what I was going to have to go through to put it together. I wasn't going to run long distances in high school. Because what was waiting at the end was not worth what I was going to have to put up with. And you see, our writer is writing to some folks who are on the verge of coming to the conclusion that what is waiting out there was not worth what they were going through or would be going through. And he says, you know what? Jesus went through more than we could ever imagine. But he did it because of the joy that was before him. It is going to be difficult. We are going to have struggles. But can't we agree that it's worth it? No matter what Satan does to us here. No matter what things we have to endure in this life. God has promised us an eternal home with him. It's worth it. It's worth it. And so he says here, do not give up. We cannot give up. We cannot be distracted. We cannot get tired and we must keep our eyes on the prize. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And because we are, we are going to throw off everything that hindered us, hinders us. We are going to run with perseverance the race set before us. And we are going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we will keep our eyes on the prize. And here's, we're going to encourage each other to do so. Every day, we're going to encourage each other to do so. 
Because you see, I don't want to cross the finish line by myself. I don't want to cross the finish line by myself. Maybe some of you will be ahead of me. Waiting on me when I cross that finish line. Others of you, we may be running side by side. And others of you, I may be waiting on you. But we all want to cross the finish line. And so we encourage one another. If you're here this morning, we can help you in any way. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.